to chapter 5 as we uh, continue our walk through the book and through uh, chapter 5, which uh, one of the, certainly one of the great chapters in the, the Word of God, I think it's uh, a while to get through all this. We're going uh, unusually slow in that we're covering uh, one verse at a time here as we go through the Beatitudes, but uh, there's just so much in here that I don't think it would hurt us at all to do that. It's a blessing to us. Uh, last week, we dealt with uh, those who uh, are in hunger and thirst after righteousness. We saw that those who hunger speak to our most basic needs, and of course, Christ is our most basic needs, so we uh, would expect that that would be something we would understand and long for as much as anything else. A true saint has a hunger to grow closer to Christ as he grows in his word. We are created with a void, and when I say created, and the void came about in the uh, fall, of course, but since then, we all have a void that only God can fill. The natural man tries to fill it with creation, not the Lord, and of course it is, as the Christian struggle is just that too, to, we understand that we need Christ, but the natural man, the, uh, our remaining sin still sometimes tries to find that satisfaction in things. Um, but of course only Christ can bring that satisfaction that we need. We looked at some verses that I thought bring this out pretty well. Psalm 107.9, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 34.10, young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Of course there's just a whole sermon there, but I think we have tried to be, to explain those things pretty well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then Jeremiah 23, one of my favorite verses in all scripture, especially when it comes to this subject. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living fathers, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can't hold no water. And if you're coming to our Sunday school and we're going through uh, Second Kings and the history of Israel, we're seeing just that, trying to find the satisfaction, the means of life in Baal worship and idolatry and uh, coming up terribly short in doing that. So some of the things we looked at last week, and we have been looking at the inner qualities of those in the kingdom of God, and maybe something that's a little different today, we will be looking at things that will be seen outwardly. It's certainly an inward quality to be merciful, but uh, if, if it's not shown outwardly, to others, then we can safely say that you, uh, your heart is not merciful. I have to remind ourselves how easy it would be for someone to see this as prescriptive and not descriptive. If you're not firmly rooted in the Word of God, you read this and you can say, boy, this sounds a lot like a, a prescription that God is telling me that if I do this, I shall be saved. He will show me mercy. We know that is not the case. These abilities are prescriptive in that sense. They're not telling us what to do in order to get into the kingdom. It is telling us what it is describing to us, what those in the kingdom are like. And so we always want to keep that in mind, especially in a verse like this. We know that we are sinners saved by grace, and so this knocks us off our high horses as we come to see that we are no more deserving than anybody else for anything that God has done for us, and therefore, we have come 
compassion towards others. If you have been shown mercy, how can you not be merciful? And it is of the most heinous of sins to not be like that. Remember the parable where the one who had been forgiven uh, an insurmountable debt turns right around and uh, wants to haul someone who owes him just a few bucks, as it were, before the magistrate. Uh, and, and the common Lord says that, that that's the kind of person that's going to end up in hell. Uh, it cannot be. How can someone who's been given the righteousness of Christ, and righteousness not my own, uh, and show that kind of undeserved mercy, turn around and be hard and harsh toward other people? And we never, because sometimes we are like that, but we still have a ways to go. But we know in our heart is wrong, and I hope that it would bother us if we see ourselves like that, right? And so the problem here, though, is that this particular verse doesn't say that those who have been shown mercy will be merciful. And we'll see some verses that the Bible does teach that. But here it says, those who are merciful will be shown mercy. So what do we, have, what, what do we, what do we make of that? Because it sounds prescriptive. And so we want to deal with that. And, and just to... Uh, Define mercy, uh, we've all heard the uh, definition mercy is not doing what someone deserves. Grace is doing something for somebody that they don't deserve, right? Mercy is, first and foremost, it is not doing what someone deserves. So if someone has done wrong and they are guilty of something and you should say, I'm not going to make you pay for that in some way, right? Um, but, when I speak today, I will sometimes sound like I'm talking about forgiveness, and they are certainly connected. But forgiveness is one of the ways that being merciful would be worked out. So that's the difference. So you might not need forgiveness, but uh, you know, if I'm merciful to you, if I'm compassionate on you, I might you might be poor, like we were reading before. You might have a great need, and I show mercy and give you that. I don't have to, but I do so, right? Forgiveness is in another way that that might be worked out. So that's the difference there. Uh, just so you can maybe keep that in mind. Because we'll be dealing with forgiveness uh, later on in this chapter, and it's a very difficult and I think often misunderstood concept. The Bible speaks of mercy in two veins then. On the one, those we have been shown mercy, and this will affect us, right? That, that's one way the, the, the uh, we'll see some verses here in a moment that the Bible speaks about mercy. But here, uh, we see a little bit different. The Christian is seen as someone who sometimes who has re- received mercy and is expected to be merciful. Uh, let's look at some uh, verses here that would bear this out. But first of all, the first one, uh, where we, the first one is that we have been shown mercy and that will affect the way that we, uh, our compassion towards others, bearing the Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So you see, it's it's a uh, kind of a very interesting example, same, same situation. You've been doing this, so you must do it for others. Be kind one to another, keep your heart of forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you, we notice that in all these, the basis is always because we have to 
show mercy in Christ. Romans 5, 5. And hope was not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out of our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we see it again. Christ died for us, he showed mercy to us, and so that has produced a love and compassion towards others in a similar way. But again, that's one way, but here in our text, we're sometimes told we are to act like forgiven sinners who have been shown mercy if we are expected for God to show mercy to us. That's a little bit different. Let me give you some verses here. Luke 6.37 Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So, you see an example there. While we are never under the law, let me change 5 and 2, verse 5. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We get all these things, in some way or another, are showing mercy, right? So while we are ever, to ever look back at the mercy shown to us as a source and motivation to be merciful, we are also warned that the evidence of our future hope is in our merciful nature. And if we don't exercise it and we dishonor the Lord, we will be bringing the Lord's favor upon us. Now that is a mouthful. I had a uh, uh, well, you know, Jeff read um, Matthew 25, and I've said this before, every place in the New Testament that describes the judgment, it is always judgment of our works. And in that case, they did not, uh, they were not merciful and compassionate to others, and the Lord showed them no mercy. And that makes some people feel a little uncomfortable, because, well, is that salvation by faith? And of course, yes, yes, it is, right? But as I think as we try to explain what's going on here, we'll see how those two things don't contradict each other, but actually are the same thing, or help support each other. Certainly, while ultimate mercy cannot be lost, so to help get it confused here, if we are saved, if you have Christ's righteousness imputed to you through faith, that can never be taken away. So if you're a Christian who has struggled with being merciful and maybe are not a particularly compassionate Christian, you are not going to lose your salvation. Because our salvation is not based on how merciful we are. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It cannot be lost. Certainly, present blessings can be. And I think in, in part, that is what the New Testament is teaching too, that when you are merciful, and you don't forgive, then God will forgive you. In other words, he's going to chasing you. He's not going to let you get away with that because he loves you, because you are a person. Matthew uh, 10, 42, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so again, the, the mercy shown to us is reward, the blessings of God. It's not lose your salvation, gain your salvation. It's, it's the rewards that God graciously gives to us because we don't even deserve that, let alone salvation. And here's another way to view all this is that those who are 
just not a merciful bunch show themselves not to be converted to begin with. But I think that that is really the heart of what's going on here. Because if he's describing those in the kingdom as those who are merciful, then the, uh, the, the takeaway from that is that those who are not merciful are not in the kingdom. And that's why I had Jeff read Matthew 25, because I think that's a perfect example of that. And probably nowhere is it more starkly taught than in Matthew 25, where entrance into glory hinges on how compassionate we are to our brothers and sisters. We say, well, that certainly sounds like word salvation. Believe me, I'm, I'm the furthest one to believe in the word salvation, and that's not what I'm teaching at all, but it's there in Scripture, and it's there in Scripture, as I said, every place in the New Testament, whether it's the book of Revelation or in Paul's writings, it always is described as how you lived your life. So, you can't get away from that, and we have to make it mess with the rest of Scripture. The point then is not work salvation, but that sheep and goats, as we see in Matthew 25, live in two different ways because one group has a new nature and will not then live as they did before. And once you remember what happens when we're converted, that is we're given a new heart, then we're not then we start to make sense of these texts. Because what we're seeing here is that when we get to heaven, those who are safe in Christ have lived that out in their life and are welcome and rewarded for it. Those who are, have not shown that in their life, have been assured that they are still lost in their sins, and they're going to be cast away forever. Therefore, no one will be able to plead the blood of Christ in the day of judgment who has not also evidenced his union with Christ in this life. Now, I'm not talking about perfectly. No Christian has ever perfectly exhibited Christ in their life. But a change has been made. Now, again, it, it makes some of us feel uncomfortable to some degree. And in, in a sense, it should. Because of remaining sin and a lack of mercy in us sometimes, and a lack of love. Sometimes, you know, if you're like me, I think probably everybody in here in this sense is like me. Is sometimes you do some things and you're thinking, how can I do that? I'm a Christian. Right? Am I alone? I doubt it. But the Bible is clear both on the basis of our salvation, which is Christ, and the proof of our salvation, which is fruit, being merciful in this case. Lovers of Christ love. So I love Christ. I don't like people. Well, right, but love. Those shown mercy are merciful. Not perfectly so, but they are. Their nature is like that. And we learn as we study God's word that mercy is a chief way that God delights to reveal his glory in us. Because remember Exodus 34, we went through this a few years ago. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding with steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is, and he delights in showing this. So will his people be any different? Mercy and grace and compassion explain why God even allowed sin and suffering to the world to begin with. If you think about it, 
attributes like truth and holiness and glory and power. But some attributes are relative in that they cannot be expressed until man fell into sin. And then God could show mercy and grace and justice. So there are, there are attributes of God, but why did he create mankind? So that he could demonstrate, and again, if you go back and read Exodus 34, God says this, so I could demonstrate these things. Remember, I raised up Pharaoh to demonstrate my wrath. He's an object of wrath. Because if there was no sin, how could God exercise his wrath? Which, again, well, why would you want to exercise wrath? Because it is a wrath against sin. It is a wrath against that which is ungodly. And so those are always been parts of God that, that were really not expressed, I don't think, until the fall. But this explains why Christians then are merciful. Because we have His Spirit within us. If He delights in mercy, then He wants us to express that same glory in the way we interact with one another. Which I think is one reason why we're left in this life to begin with. We all need the needy around us, and we all are needy in one way or another, at one time or another. And we are mistreated often in this life so that we can display the love and compassion and mercy that has been displayed to us. This is Christ said. They hated me, look at hate you. And so God leaves us here so that as we have to deal with this world, we can demonstrate the attributes of God that the world hates and wants no part of. So there's a sense in which our duty, it's our duty, but there's another sense in which that's just how we are as creations in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a duty. But if it, even if it wasn't expressly our duty, if we're saved, how can it not be who we are? Like these other attributes, mercy is not something the natural man does very well. In ancient Rome, it was considered a mental sickness, actually. That said, I forgot to it. He uh, said something about from, uh, what was going on in ancient Rome that I thought was interesting. Interesting, it kind of illustrates this. A popular Roman philosopher called <coughs> called mercy the disease of the soul. So quite different than what we're learning here. Right? It was a supreme sign of weakness. Mercy was a sign that you did not have what it takes to be a real man, especially a Roman. The world is glorifying men in courage, strict justice, firm discipline, and above all, absolute power. They looked down on mercy because mercy to them was weakness, and weakness was despised above all other human limitations. During much of Roman history, a father had the right of uh, what is called patria epistes, epistes, of deciding whether or not his newborn child would live or die. If the infant was held up for him to see, the father would turn his thumb up if he wanted the child to live, down if he wanted him to die. If his thumb turned down, the child was immediately drowned. Citizens had the same life or death power over slaves. At any time, for any reason, they could kill and bury a slave with no arrest or appraisal. Or, um, reprisal. 
husbands could even have their wives put to death on the least provocation. Today's abortion reflects the same merciless attitude. A society that despises mercy is a society that glorifies brutality. As much as we hear people who don't want, who talk about being nice and not offending, yet they are the we live in a more, the most brutal uh, generation that's ever been seen in America. So we're going to the Civil War and all that. Well, that was brutal. But when you slaughter babies by the millions, that's not being merciful by any stretch of imagination. There's always a reason why we are not compassionate, whether it's our pride, which is always a portion of our pride, but it's also our self-righteousness, our judgmentalism. And Christians certainly have no reason to think that way, but we often do. But history proves that the natural man takes advantage of those weakers of himself impossible, as we just read. And let me point out, because you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, I know a lot of lost people who are very merciful, very compassionate, very loving, and, and that, that's certainly true, we all know them. Let me point out the fact that all lost people are unmerciful. The natural man is compassionate, but there may be, uh, and, and there's certainly some who are horizontally compassionate towards their fellow man. And, and the reason for that is that man is not as depraved as he could be. We are all relative in our morals in one way or another. Depravity isn't seen in that we are as bad as we possibly can be um, all the time. It is seen in why we do what we do. That's what that's where depravity is really seen. Because we tend to think of someone who like they kill a child, well, that that's depraved. It certainly is. But depravity is seen in all of us in the way we do in the reasons we do what we do. The morally good and merciful towards man exhibit the fact that they were created in the image of God. So you've got a lost person who seems to be very loving and compassionate and merciful. And he's like that because all of us have God's law written in our conscious, our consciousness because we were created in God's image. Even the lost person was created in God's image. That's been marred. But there's leftovers. Like I said, we're not as evil as we could be. We all have the image of God stamped in our consciousness, but that's worked out differently. But when the natural man loves and does good for his fellow man, even if he doesn't do it for pride's sake, and I think that there's a lot of people out there who are just nice people and do things because they don't expect it to be paid back. Right? That they might not want recognition. They're truly, horizontally, very merciful. But the ultimate reason that they do that, even if it's not for their own sakes, is because he has placed man's needs or creation's needs over God. So let's get it back to why you do what you do. So you, so you have a natural man, an unsaved person who is merciful and loving, but he's doing it because he thinks that person is worth it, 
because he loves God. He's doing it for the sake of that person. So he's putting his idolatry through that person over God. And so he's, he's um, his ultimate reason for doing everything is for man or for creation and not the Lord. And so many of the self-professed tree huggers and dirt worshippers are just that. And they don't make any bones about it. They, they speak of Mother Earth. We believe we should take care of the Earth. Not because they want to honor the Lord, but precisely because they think that Earth is their God. Because there is no God, because they don't, they don't care anything about the Lord. In fact, many would be glad for humanity to die off. We talked about it before, that many, in, in the, like Peter and all that, uh, they would be just, they'd be very happy. Of course, we're, we're hearing this, of course, in the, the world economic forums and all that, where they want to reduce the population of man down to just very small amount. They, they care about the earth and nature more than human beings. And so the problem is they don't go back to the true original source, which is the Creator, so they honor and worship creation rather than the Creator, even as they do good to other people. See, it says Romans 1 all over. Those who have been brought, for instance, those who have bought into climate change supposedly are concerned for mankind's future, but it is a future without God. And so it can't have mankind's good in mind really at all because a future without God is no future. Not a good one. So don't get caught up in, 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 in forgetting that when lost people do good, it's evil if they don't have God as the ultimate reason. And that goes the same for us. If we're doing something, it's not to honor the Lord in it, but it becomes sin. So as I said, it all goes back to Romans chapter 1 and the following verses of, from verse 28 that tells us that the further a society gets from acknowledging God, the more they are merciful. And our society is looking more and more like ancient Rome um, already, as I said. It, it says in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. So when you suppress the knowledge of God, everything you do now is the base. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, violence, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they were gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, committers of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, the opposite of merciful. That's what happens when you, when God is not the picture. Isn't that how nice you are? It's depravity. We've seen enough today to know that, that the mercy spoken of in Matthew chapter 5 is compassion and action. Just, just remind ourselves, we're not talking about, I'm, 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 in my mind, I'm merciful. Feeling I have from somebody else. Mercy that isn't worked out is not mercy. We know that by studying God's compassion. God's compassion is a, a selfless concern that is expressed in a selfless deed in Christ. We are not to be 
takers, but givers. It is to give food to the hungry, to bread, comfort to the bereaved, love to the rejected, forgiveness to the offender, companionship to the lowly, and most of all, good news for the lost. Because at the end of the day, if it doesn't lead to that, you've only done them a little bit of good. But that's what reflects the mercy of the Lord. Limitations 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And if it's true of the Lord, then it should be our, our goal not to be to have any limit to our compassion towards one another. And yet just as with meekness, our mercy is to be in line with God's mercy. God is merciful, but not in everything. So there's always a... There's, we never speak about these things in a situation like the forgiveness or mercy where it, you've got to do it no matter what's going on around you. There are times, in other words, where while we are a merciful people, there's times you can't show mercy. Just like with the Lord, there are times that he does not forgive. He does not show compassion. And so this verse is not a license to do whatever is asked without any question and enable people to do wrong. We aren't merciful if it's going to be bad for them. And so that's, we live in a day and age where if someone wants something they don't, they should be giving it to them. But if you say, well, wait, it's not good for you, they, they rise up in, in hatred or something. Well, a Christian has got to be able to think through the emotion of all this. Otherwise, parents wouldn't discipline Churches wouldn't discipline, governments wouldn't punish, because we haven't got to be merciful all the time. You know, so Jesus isn't saying that a Christian, those in the kingdom, are merciful indiscriminately, but we are merciful, and when we can, and when it's proper, we want to show mercy. I'll give you an example of this. Where we read in Second Thessalonians 3, and turn it if you want to, we'll be there in a second here. It says, let him who will not work, neither let him eat. I think Paul is a merciful person. But he says, look, if someone's not going to work, and they think of the church or anybody else is supposed to take care of them, let them start with that. Because being merciful and compassionate in what that guy wants will only do him bad. You, you can't do a worse thing for someone than to feed them and never expect them to work and take care of themselves. You create somebody who uh, it becomes a leech on society. And it's someone who has no uh, self-worth. Let me, let me uh, turn, turn if you want to Second Thessalonians. I want to read the context of that because you see, you know that this is not just me <clears throat> making some of this stuff up. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Notice the context of this. And, uh, see, and this is Paul, who I think, under the inspiration of scriptures, is a merciful guy, and it's not going to say anything contrary to what Jesus said, right? Second Thessalonians, chapter 3, beginning of verse 6. <clears throat> now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you received from us. So you got a, you got a brother who's in the church, at least a professing Christian, who is idle, who will not work, who expects to be taken care of, and, and Paul says, uh, now, don't be merciful in that sense. The merciful thing to do is to correct him, to discipline him if need be, try to get him back to where he should be. Verse 7, for 
you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat any of his bread without paying for it. It's not saying that Paul never received a gift, but as a rule, he did not. He, 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 worked, he took care of himself when he could. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, it is let to be. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not being busy at work, but many bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is tough love. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but regard him as a brother. So you see, that helps us understand what we're talking about here when it comes to mercy and love and forgiveness and compassion, that there are limits to those things. Because even God doesn't forgive us without repentance, right? There's, there's, it is whatever is for our good. God doesn't save us so that we continue to be bad. We're going to play with that. <clears throat> so even God shows mercy, but only in such a way that glorifies his holiness, not by merely passing over sin. So this is something that the church needs to keep in mind, because a lot of people are confused about this, and it brings about problems. God's mercy doesn't ignore wrong. It does good in spite of it. He, he, he doesn't uh, pass over our sin. He gave us Christ so that our sins could be paid for and we could be shown mercy. So we don't, we got to be careful. We don't show mercy if we end up condoning sin and dishonoring God. And so when people want the government to let the guilty go, they have perverted mercy. It sounds, you know, merciful. It's not being very merciful to the victim, right? And it's really not being very merciful to that person because you're teaching them that they can get away with sin. And just because the government lets you get away with sin doesn't mean that God's going to let you get away with it. So you never do them any favors, but if you hold them accountable, you have, a, you have an ability to teach them about the real uh, end of sin. Because spending some years in prison or paying a fine or whatever it might be is nothing compared to what's going to happen if you stand before the Lord. And so the Bible gives us enough insight to know when it is good to be merciful and when it's necessary to exercise maybe some tough love. But the issue is whether we are merciful or not, because as we saw in Romans 1, the climax of hating God is to be unmerciful. So there's a point where we, we want to understand the nuances of showing mercy, but result of the mercy shown by the Lord. And, and 
I'm Church. And 
person to be saved, and, and, and he's he'll be in glory. Also, that's showing him mercy. That's the best thing. That's what he means. And so sometimes we must rebuke false teaching to save the flock. I think that's being merciful. And so if I don't warn you of error, am I being merciful to you? If I really don't care how you look, and let you just do whatever you want to do, never call you on it, and vice versa. So I've tried today to show, describe biblical mercy in, the, in its overall attitude. Not that we ignore all sin and offenses, but we have a heart that wants to be compassionate. God doesn't show it in every sense in the world we but we should be able to detect it in our hearts if we are merciful or not. And so a lack of mercy is inconsistent to those who say they love the Lord. And I think, as we said, the Lord will not tolerate it in us. If we are a professing Christian and we are a hard, unloving, uncompassionate, uh, unmerciful uh, person, I don't think the Lord is going to bring chastisement upon us. He's not going to allow us to go without being called on. So keep in mind who you are when you wake up and walk with this attitude. And I think that we will not have a problem with being merciful if we wake up understanding who we are in Christ Jesus. And if you are having trouble, then you're not looking in James's mirror. Remember, James says the word of God is like a mirror. You look at it, you... you See some of the ugliness that's left over, the remaining sin, and you start to clean up, right? I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror and I see a bunch of, you know, dirt on me, I wash it off. It's a rule, right? And so if you're a Christian, you come to church, you study God's Word, and it's not having any effect in your life, what, what are we to make of that? So preach the gospel to yourself daily, and we will be compassionate people in the world of God's grace. Any other thoughts or questions before we?